Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Really dumb. Hello and welcome to the Really 007 podcast for a very special interview. My name's Rob Parker. I'm joined by John Kell and Christopher Goldie. And uh, we're three three sixes, a half of the usual... A half, uh, yeah. A half, yeah, exactly. Great. I'm a numbers guy. <laughs> I'm a word guy, sorry, not a numbers guy. Of the Yeah, we're, we're half of the Really 007 uh, six. And we're here tonight to, to speak to someone very special who's got a very interesting role in the in the world of James Bond. But before we meet this gentleman, please check us out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all the usual places that you go and get your, your podcasts. Give us five stars on your subscription service of choice. Uh, and uh, chat to us on Twitter at Really007Pod. Do we have an email address? Really007 at gmail dot something? Do we do we do that? Dot com. Dot com. Excellent. Really, really do, there it is. Com. See, I'm <laughs> the most au fait with the intros. So we'll get straight through it. Uh, firstly, how are you, John and Chris? Are you okay? Yep. Uh, very good. Thank you. You? Very, very good. Thank very you, excited man. to be here. Excellent stuff. Excellent. Well, I will introduce our guest. This, I mean, this is very exciting for me because I know a lot of you out there will know my day job as a writer, but whenever I get to speak to someone who has actually been writing in the world of James Bond and not just fan fiction like me, <laughs> actually allowed the keys to the franchise to go and work in this amazing world is a very special day. So without further ado, can I welcome Mr. Raymond Benson to the podcast? How are you? I'm fine. Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. And Thank hello, you. everybody out in podcast land. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, we do. We have listeners all over the place. So it's it's wonderful to so, share. So I can, I, I can I can say, I, I, I can't say I've had my six, but I've had my three. Mm. <laughs> very good. It. You can definitely <laughs> say that. Uh, th- this is usually a point where I'd look to the guys and go, we got a good one here, guys. <laughs> uh, well, firstly, Raymond, where, uh, how are you today? And wh- where are we speaking to each other from? I- I'm in Warrington in the north of England. And you are? I'm outside of Chicago in the middle of the United States. Incredible. Absolutely so incredible. It's, two, it's a little after two o'clock here. Amazing. And thank you so much for your time. So, I mean... I- Speaking about the whole picture of your writing career, if we could do that, but how before we got to James Bond, I mean, were you always were you always a writer? Just in your heart and in your mind, were you always a writer? No. Ah. Uh, I, <laughs> I was a theater major. I started off really, I think, you know, as a kid wanting to be an actor, I thought. 
And, you know, in high school, uh, I was in our drama department and I, I did act a lot uh, and decided I wanted to be in show business of some kind. And after I graduated high school, I went to uh, the University of Texas at Austin and joined the drama department there to to be a, you know, to get my degree in theater. After one semester, I decided <laughs> acting was for the people who were really talented at it. I wanted to be a director. I thought I would be better suited as a director. But I was also a musician. I don't know if you knew that. Uh, I I compose music. I play the piano. I and uh, I was I'd I'd always been composing music for the next you know for the college years and for pretty much ten years after that. I was a theater stage director and a music composer for theater. After college, I did move to New York City and I directed uh, stage works there. You know, off Broadway, off off Broadway, off 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 way off. Broadway. And uh, I would put music to uh, playwrights lyrics when they like say wrote a new musical and these were performed and I did that for a long time. But then in the 80s, the 1980s, I mean, I'm an old guy. <laughs> so we're talking about the 70s there. And, and <laughs> in the early 80s, I had this crazy idea that I wanted on my bookshelf a book that was I mean, we had already had a couple of books on on the Bond movies, you know, the the John Brosnan book and the Stephen J. Rubin book. We had, you know, some biographies of Ian Fleming. We had the John Pearson book and some sort of unauthorized out-of-print books. We had a couple of books on the Bond novels, like the Kingsley Amos, James Bond dossier, and and, you know, a few that came out in the 60s and were long gone. I wanted a book that had all of that in one big book, you know, a, a, a brief biography of Fleming, a history of the Bond phenomenon and analyses of all the books and all the movies all in one place. And there did not exist a book like that. And my friend said, well, you're going to have to write it because <laughs> they knew I was a big, huge Bond fan since childhood. Um my father had taken me to see, I was nine years old when Goldfinger came out on the big screen. I persuaded my father to take me to see it. And of course, you know, back then, this would have been probably January of 1965, because it didn't open in America until December of 64. And I lived in a small town in West Texas, and the movies didn't come there for, it took a couple of months. It might have been like February of 65. And then, uh, so, you know, at that age, Seeing something like that on the big screen just, you know, blows your mind. And, uh, you know, my libido was kicking in around that time. And, and it was just, it was, it was hot. It was sexy. It was cool. It was, Sean Connery was, you know, cool as hell. It was just fantastic. And I was immediately a fan. And I started investigating, well, what else is there? And I learned, well, there were two movies before that. And luckily, about four months later, five months later, they released the double bill of Dr. No and From Russia With Love. And that came to the big screen. So within wow. about six so within about six months, I saw the first three movies on the big screen. You know, the paperbacks, the Ian Fleming paperbacks were everywhere at that time. And so I started picking them up, even at nine years old, and started reading them, even though maybe wow. some of it some of it may have gone a little over my head, but I could I could get the stories. I was a good reader at the time. I was I was a very advanced reader. I read the Ian Fleming books at the age of nine and ten, and, and uh, kept up, you know, kept up with the series and and everything all through the sixties. I was right there in the middle of Bond mania and Beatlemania and the whole British invasion thing. I was just really into it. Everything. Swing in London and all that stuff, you know. <laughs> I was just, I was, I was a peculiar kid for West Texas. I, I was not like everybody else. <laughs> so, you know, in the early 80s, here we are. I'm now in my, you know, late 20s. I started thinking about this book, you know, what if I, could I write something like that? I'd never thought of myself as a writer, you know. But I knew, I think I knew the material, but I wanted to do a lot of more research into Ian Fleming, you know. I pitched the idea to a publisher and got a contract to write the book overnight, which is what? kind of unusual. <laughs> kind Whoa. Of unusual. What? Yeah. Uh, wow. but, it took, but it took me three years to do it. I did go to England uh, in 1982 
and uh, I met uh, members of Ian Fleming's family and a lot of his colleagues and friends. And, you know, I, I spent time with Ivor Bryce and Ernest Cuneo and Robert Harling. And uh, I met uh, Peter Jansen Smith, who, you know, the uh, who was his literary agent and ran uh, at the time it was called Glidrose Publications. Uh, now it's called Ian Fleming Publications. I met Kingsley Amos. I met John Pearson. I, you know, I, all these people. And, and it was fantastic. It was fantastic. It was just uh, eye-opening and quite the experience as well. So I went, you know, came back, wrote the book, took a while for it to get published, but finally it came out in 1984 in the United States. It didn't come out in, in uh, Britain until 1988, but by, the t by then I had updated the original version, and so they used the updated version for the text of the British version. So that kind of turned my career sideways. I was still doing theater, but uh, I suddenly was a writer, and and the book was nominated for an Edgar Allan Poe Award and all this stuff, and I got a you know a lot of acclaim for it, and I started uh, getting involved with the uh, the American Bond fan club, and they had a magazine called Bondage. Maybe you were familiar with that. Um, yep. So I started writing articles for that, and I became kind of known as the sort of Bond expert, whatever that is. Uh, and I would appear at like these conventions and things like that. Peter Jansen Smith, uh, the guy at Ian Fleming Publications, uh, he liked, you know, he and the Fleming family, they liked the book, The Bedside Companion. And we stayed in touch. And I did, you know, little little tasks for them every now and then all through the 80s and early 90s. And this is when John Gardner was writing the books. Mm, yeah. um, but I would, you know, I'd visit him when I come to. I came to England and stuff. And then... Uh, I'm, I'm sorry uh, to ask, Remy, like, can you, can you define tasks a little bit? It sounds uh, serious. I I, actually, I can't. <laughs> I, I, I probably shouldn't. Yeah, there yeah, were sort of secret tasks. You know? Cool, cool. <laughs> but anyway, well, one of those I can sort of talk about, because now it's well known, is that I wrote a stage play based on Casino Royale. Ah. Um, it was an adaptation of, of Casino because at the time in the in the mid '80s they still owned the rights mm. uh, for for a stage play of Casino Royale. Now the you know the film rights were owned by Columbia because of the night you know the 1967 thing. Eon had no rights to it, uh, so actually Glidrose did own what could be called stage rights. So they commissioned me to write the play, and uh, I actually got paid for it, which is a nice thing. <laughs> Always a good um, thing. Yeah, and we we did a staged reading of it in New York City off 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 Broadway, and it went very well. But then then mysteriously, uh, Glidrose decided not to pursue it, and that's it. That was the end of it. So um, mm. it's one of those you know things that uh, we don't talk about. <laughs> <laughs> what, what an interesting! I mean, it, it, even just by itself, the idea of a Casino Royale musical is. Yeah. No, not a music, not a musical. Not a musical. A, oh, a serious, sorry, a, a stage, a serious stage play, a serious. Right. Oh, I'm so sorry. Unbelievable. I guess yeah. you know, very, fa very faithful to the book. You know, and and when you think about it, Casino Royale is probably the only of the mm. only one of the yes. books that could be a stage yes. play. Yes, hundred percent, definitely. I mean, just hearing your story, I mean, I know it's so obvious, but. You are just genuinely a fan, aren't you? It's just yeah. you have it was I mean, it's unbelievable. I mean, you know, you're an incredibly talented guy, but you are like living the dream. This is a bomb fan who makes a bomb book and it's it, it's an it's an inspiration. That's all I'm trying to get at. It's oh, so good. Well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it was it was I was in a unique position. I, I totally admit it and I don't take it for granted. But anyway, uh, during this time in the late 80s and early 90s, I got involved in computer games mm. uh, totally by accident because after The Bedside Companion was published, I had gained a literary agent and the agent had gotten a call from one developer of early computer games. In the mid 80s, you got to remember this was very this was the infancy of computer games when Apple II Cs were coming into to the homes and Commodores and things like that. Yeah, you know, really, really, I mean, I, you guys are too young to remember this stuff. Uh, they, <laughs> a couple of us going, hmm. <laughs> the, this company had a license to do a couple of James Bond games. And my agent, they were looking for a writer. 
So my, they contacted this agency with that my agent was with, and they said, do you know any writers that might want to do this? And he thought of me. So he called me and said, would you be interested in this? And I said, yeah. So I learned on the fly how to write, you know, this user code for text adventure computer games. And, you know, and those the, the first ones were very basic text only games where, you know, it tells a story as you play it. It's the kind of, I don't know if you've ever heard of the Infocom games like Zork. I remember uh, Zork, they, yeah. Yeah, yeah. They were very popular in the, in the 80s, but they were all text, no graphics. You know, the kind of thing like, you know, you are in a forest, you mm. see a sword on the ground and a path on the east and a path to the west. What do you do? And you type, pick up the sword. It says, you have a sword. <laughs> now what do you do? Go east, you know. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, it, and it unravels a story as you play it and solve puzzles. So I did the, the uh, th actually uh, two Bond games and a Stephen King game to start off with. And then that just you know, got me more jobs with bigger and better companies up and up through the night, the mid nineties. So is this, so you sort of, I, really, I was just going to ask you, is this sort of you cutting your teeth on sort of narrative essentially, you know, actually exactly. learning the skill. I was just going to say that that's what, that's how I honed my fiction writing mm. because, mm -hmm. you know, the scripts for these things, especially when, once we got into the nineties with things like Ultima seven, the black gate and, uh, Are You Afraid of the Dark and games like that that were massive worldwide bestsellers. Uh, the scripts that I would write were pages, you know, that looked like, you know, the kind of phone books from London back in the you know, <laughs> 80s. Peter at Ian Fleming Publications, I guess, you know, was following my career like that and was aware that I was, you know, writing fiction. I had actually written a first novel in the late 1980s, a, a mystery novel, the proverbial first novel. <laughs> the kind you put in a drawer and, and never <laughs> but, but I did I, I did let him read it and see, you know, to get, you know, what do you think, Peter? And he had good comments and, you know, didn't think it was terrible, but he agreed with me it should go in a drawer and never come out. But, <laughs> uh, but you know, I think it was he saw that I could not only start a novel with a with a premise and characters, but I could finish a novel, mm. you know, and that's 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 a big thing because, yeah, I, I know a lot of people who, who think I'm going to write a novel and they'll write one chapter and quit, you know, uh <laughs> Raymond, you are so right. I, always, I say this to a lot of people because I I'm lucky enough to teach some creative writing and and when anyone who's actually got to the end of a novel you you've done it you pat yourself on the back you you've got yes. there you know because that that's there are so many people who like you say start but never never finish and i don't i don't begrudge those people but i begrudge like how you might have absolute dynamite in there finish the darn thing you know like right. get it out there you know you might have the next poor multi-million dollar franchise sitting in your head Yep. So anyway, he he saw that I could do that. Well, then finally, I'm still working at the computer game company, and it's late 1995. It's early November. It's probably the first week of November. GoldenEye is yet to be released in like three weeks. He calls me from England, and he says, Raymond, John Gardner has decided to hang up the hat. He's going to retire, and we want to know if you'd like to give it a shot. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I had to keep it a secret for a while, but he wanted me to, you know, I had to kind of audition in a way. I had to uh, write a an outline of a story on spec Ooh. that not only Ian Fleming Publications and the Flemings had to approve, but also the British publisher and the American publisher, because they both wow. had their, you know, claws into this. Once that was done, I had to write the first four chapters on spec. Once that was done, then I got the contract and it was announced. And that was by then it was spring 1996. Well, I mean, was, we it, had... was it a, a kid in a candy store moment when you were like at, at the, you know, keys in hand and you are keys beneath your fingertips and you're like, I'm writing James Bond here. And I'm going to, you know, like I've been asked to write about that character. Like those yes. must have just been, I mean, how did it feel? It, it must... it, well, it was terrifying in a way. I mean, <laughs> I I I was confident enough that I knew I could do it. I was terrified though because it was going to be a challenge. It was going to be hard work, and you know, and I I'm American, mm. you know, and you know he 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 said you know well you know we'll we'll 
we'll be sure to vet it for you know any Americanisms that slip in and everything. But you've got to write British. You have yeah. to do it as if you're British. I went, oh, okay. <laughs> so I started. <laughs> I started coming over to England a lot while I was uh, writing the bond. I was, I was over there three or four times a year to soak it all up, you know, and soak up the language. And, you know, at first we we discussed what direction my books would go. You know, we were thinking series, you know, already. You know, what direction should we go in? Should I continue contemporarily like John Gardner did, you know, set them in the current day? Or should we go back in time, go back to the 50s or the 60s? And then GoldenEye came out. You know, that was huge. Hmm. It, was a, it was a big yeah. hit. And it kind of, you know, rebooted the franchise. And Peter said, you know, I think we should stay in sync with the films. And in fact, we want you to make your M a woman. And, you know, he said, I think, you know, stay, stay contemporary. Make your books a little more like you know, the Eon movies, you know, a little more action, a little more humor. And I said, well, that's fine, but I really want to make, I want to keep my Bond Fleming's Bond. I want him to have all of his vices intact. I want him to still be a drinker, a smoker, a womanizer, all that stuff. And Peter thought, well, you know, it might be anachronistic now, but if you can make it work, fine. That's how I, that's how I approached it. I put, you know, what I saw as Fleming's Bond into sort of the Pierce Brosnan era world universe and that's what my books were so when you and... were thinking of like plot points obviously like with GoldenEye that's set very much in its time were you kind of scouring kind of like you know current affairs you know you were trying to plant it just there and there yes. and kind of have that influence yes well basically what I would do would I would look at a map of the world and see what hot spots Britain were, was concerned about mm-hmm. and mm. uh, once I pinpointed a spot then I would do a little research into the history of why it was a hotspot and come up with a storyline based on that. So, you know, the very first book, um, I knew that if it were published, it would be 1997. And what was the big event that year? It was the handover of Hong Kong. So, you know, I cleared it with Peter. I said, what if I do Hong Kong? And he said, that sounds great. So I wrote an outline and a storyline based on Hong Kong. And um, Hmm. I traveled you know, to to Hong Kong and China and and Macau to do the research. That was in 96, in spring of 96. And, you know, wrote it all through that year while I was still working at the computer game company. Uh, I didn't quit the I didn't quit my day job <laughs> until the book came out, till zero minus 10 was published mm-hmm. in April of 97. And then from then on, I've been a freelance author wow and the run i mean like so th- this is uh, an unheard of five years you had <laughs> where there was so is it is it three in terms of just bond we're talking about here three short stories and nine novels i know right. that's like, a few yeah, six in that but six six or six originals and three movies yeah novel novelizations it, it between 97 and 02 that's 12 yeah. Published works in seven years. Yeah. Well, start if you, I count ninety six because that's oh, okay all the way through okay. when you were working. But 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 I yeah, mean yeah. that's just an astonishing yeah run of work in a comparatively short amount of time. I mean, uh, like if you look at ninety nine, you had live. Uh, sorry, four, you had yeah yeah four in ninety nine. Two of them were full novels. <laughs> it's just crazy. I know. And, I was I was I was really pulling my hair out that year. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. Once you'd done zero minus 10, was it like, I know you mentioned that you were already thinking of this in terms of series potential, but when did it become like apparent that you were going to be, you know, doing novelizations for the movies as well? Basically, whoever was the author of record, was the one who did the novelizations, which is why John Gardner did License to Kill. Right, and right. So if I had, if I was sitting in the seat, then I would be the one. Mm, uh, by by, you know, by spring of '97, they all knew that I could do it. I, I'd written zero minus ten, mm. and so immediately after that book was published, I started working on Tomorrow Never Dies because uh, they were filming it. 
the novelizations had to be into the publisher five months prior to publication. So that means I had from about April to June to write Tomorrow Never Dies. The novelizations are are quick works. Oh my word! <laughs> right, I, I, yeah. so um, not not just in the world of James Bond, but I've not met many people who who do you know movie novelizations, and I'm like, mm. I, I think there's a you know there's they can be such fabulous companion pieces yeah. to mm. a movie that you might already love, and that flesh out that world even more. Um, right. But how does it work? I mean, do you get yeah? Do you get the script, or yes. do you get you get yeah, the script? Eon, right. Eon sent me the script. But okay. as they, you know, because they were filming still while I was writing, they would fax me changes to the script every day, every day. Uh, and they were still filming. They were still filming when I finished. So that's why the my three novelizations novelizations are slightly different. Yeah, yeah, a little bit, you know. And also, I added some stuff to it. Uh, I got permission from Eon to, like, say, in Tomorrow Never Dies, I added a, a Waylin backstory. Yeah. You know? mm. What was she doing there in Hamburg? You know, what was her backstory? What brought her there in search of Carver? You know, so <laughs> I fleshed that out. You know, that wasn't in the script. One of the things that got me kind of reading as a young age was novelizations. There was was particularly for for, for films that I, I wasn't allowed to actually watch. Yet. So things like Terminator and Alien that I couldn't watch. I'd, I'd buy the novelization. It was probably worse, to be honest with you, obviously, with your own imagination. <laughs> but I always found them. Like I, I, I collect them whenever I can because, like you say, like Rob was saying, that's such a, a fascinating artifact of yeah. This was what they sort of. This is what they, maybe the first early drafts were, and then you've got the influence of the writer, and then obviously you've got the final cut that maybe doesn't quite you know match it. So I always love going back to films that I'm familiar with and, and finding the novelization and go, wow. Right. Like you say, you get to flesh out those bits where you just don't have either the running time or was was, was caught or was never actually written. And I, I always right. love that. It puts, it's like putting meat on the bones for, for me, novelizations. And there's always like a scene that you're like, this isn't in the film. When did this happen? And then it, I've always kind of loved it. And, and also the process, like you say, getting that script and how that mm. evolved because obviously filming a script is very different to writing a novel so yes. it must have been like you say it must have been quite stressful trying to keep up with those constant constant changes right right well you know they were fun to do but you know it it was the original novels that really i was put my heart in mm. yes soul. yeah yeah and they took a year each you know because wow. i would travel to all the locations and I spent a lot wow. of time, you know, working out the the plot and and writing it. And what, would you were, say you're but, a, a? I'm sorry, Raymond. I apologize. Uh, I'm sorry. so excited. I'm so excited. It's just those questions <laughs> popping out the top of my head constantly. Like, so a common question um, asked, uh, you know, whenever I, I find myself talking to an author is about planning or pantsing. You know, how far do you? How far, right. you, especially with with Bond? Uh, I yes. need to remember we we, we are in a, a James Bond podcast, so like, especially right. when it comes to your Bond original novels. Uh, how you, like you, said, you, plan, you said like, plotter or pantser, and that's a good thing because you know I, I belong to several writers' organizations: Mystery Writers of America and International yeah. Thriller Writers, and the International of Asso- the uh, the Associ- the Internet the uh, the International Association of Media Tie-in Writers. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, so that that's all novel guys that do novelization. People that oh, do that's novelization. Cool. There's this, you know, we we refer to ourselves as either plotters or pantsers, and that is, you know, you either plot beforehand or you just write by the seat of your pants. And <laughs> I'm a plotter. I'm definitely a plotter. I, uh, mm-hmm. you know, Ian Fleming Publications required an outline before I started. Right. That was part of the deal. You know, they wanted to see what I was going to write. So. I began by, you know how Alfred Hitchcock did storyboards mm, before he yeah. would shoot a movie? Yeah. They were pict- sort of, you know, picture. He would, he would draw out the movie that he saw in his head on paper, mm. you know, frame by frame, just about. Well, my outlines are the prose equivalent of a storyboard. They're broken out in block paragraphs in prose, and each block paragraph represents a chapter. What happens in that chapter, plot-wise, story-wise? And that's what I would do. And I would spend a lot of time doing this. Uh, I'd work out all the kinks and all the red herrings and the twists and the turns and the obstacles and 
I would spend maybe two months or more on a wow. on just a twenty page outline. Wow! And so I would get it perfect, so so that it becomes the the map. It's the guide for writing the book, the blueprint, so to speak. It's like you know, I look at you know, writing the novel is building the novel, and you got to have your blueprints to build a building, right? Mm, yeah. So uh, it's the blueprints for the novel. It doesn't mean I can't change some things if I'm in the middle of writing chapter 10 and I realize, oh, it would be kind of cool to do this. I can do that. You know, I can I can change the outline a little bit if I want to. So and I've done that. That's what I do first. And I and I've done that with all my work ever since, even my own. Right. Stuff. I admire people who can be pantsers. I mean, I don't know how they do it. Uh, uh, Stephen, okay. King is, Stephen King's probably the most famous pantser. He just sits down and writes. Ian Fleming was a pantser. I mean, yeah. he had a good he had a good idea of what he was going to do. You know, he had he had done some research beforehand and done all the sort of legwork. Like, for example, for Diamonds Are Forever, he traveled across America with Ernest Cuneo and went to Las Vegas and did all that stuff and had all that stuff in his head and notes and stuff. But then when he started to write, he didn't have an outline. He just sat down and wrote. Uh, yeah, no, that, that's amazing. So I would imagine then when it came to a novel, uh, to a movie tie-in, the the plan is the script, I suppose. You know that you can always yes. refer back to and that kind of thing. Right. And I didn't do an outline for the novelization. I was going to say, like, <laughs> that's amazing. So, <laughs> like, um, right, I, I, and I hope this is acceptable to say, but your, but I'd like, I'd just like to say it while I have the writer in front of me. I thought the the Die Another Day novel that you did as the movie tie-in outstripped the film by miles and miles. I thought it was fabulous. Yes. The the tie-in you. novel you did. Um, Thank you. So uh, no. It, it, it was brilliant and and it was more than a companion piece on this occasion this was like so this is what it perhaps could have been like <laughs> you know like that kind of thing <laughs> and, and i have to add at this point that we're people well, who, li who like the movie we know, like the movie i don't know? like to i don't like to denigrate eon or anything of course like that. i mean i love, I love and i'm, I love I'm not eon. asking you to do that I'm i love, I love eon and i love barbara and michael and and i i thought working with them was really great they've they've been very good to me but you know i was at the uh the part the premiere party for the world is not enough. Mm. And I'm, I meet Michael Apted, you know, the director. <sighs> and, you know, I say, Oh, hi, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I novelized the movie. I wrote the book of the movie and he went, Oh, well maybe you made sense of it then. <laughs> <laughs> oh my word. So, w w right. So this, this past, it's taken us nearly a year, hasn't it guys? We've, we've been done a deep, yes. deep review dive on Die Another Day. We get, we get, you know, people online uh, sometimes tell us, well, have you, have you looked at the Fleming? Have you gone back to the Fleming? So we introduced the Benson in, uh, in Die Another Day, <laughs> our episode. So I kept referring to the Benson while, while, <laughs> while doing this review and saying, well, this is the scene here. Here's the scene, how it otherwise could have played out with all that well, extra backstory and stuff like that. So, well, Robert, you know, Robert Wade and Neil Purvis, they came, it's all really, it's really them, you know? Yes. Uh, yes. You know, my hat's off to them. I did work with Robert to, uh, during the novelization, I would bounce things off of, you know, for example, in the movie, you know, Bond gets from North Korea to Hong Kong like that, still wearing his the same clothes. Oh, how did he do that? The story. <laughs> the, so did you come and up so with the story I, of how I he got that there? Up. I said, look, look, it, this is a novel. You've got to you can't just do a jump cut. Oh. You have to explain oh. how to how did he get to Hong Kong? You know, he's he's been dis disavowed. You know, he's on his own. He has no money. What's he going to do? So this, I have a I, whole chapter uh, of how he gets to Hong Kong. And it's one of the coolest oh. Bond chapters ever for me. Like he goes with nothing to some underground, is it like underground bar, doesn't he? Or underground casino yeah, place? Yeah, something like and, that. I haven't read it in a long time, so I don't yeah. remember all the details. I <laughs> just remember, he does some, it, he does some sneaky Bond stuff. Thing. You know? He does, yeah. What well, Basically, he finesses money and a way to get out, out of nothing, just his wits. It's the most Bond thing I've read Oh, such a long time. It's so good. And, and so it, we get to... We've got zero minus 10. We've got the facts of death. We've got, obviously, yeah. I'll leave the short stories to one side for a moment, but high time to kill, double shot, never dream of dying, the man with the red tattoo. And do you have one that particularly lives in the memory for you? Well, they're all like children. So, mm -hmm. you know, I love I love them all. But if I had to pick a favorite, it would be high time to kill. You know, that is probably, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a Bond story that hasn't, 
I don't think it's been done. You know, it's a mountain climbing story. I'd love to see it filmed. You know, it should be filmed. <laughs> it sh I'm going to say it should as well. When you're kind of dealing with this this already pre-existing literary world, you know, you know whether it's the, the films or you know Ian Fleming's kind of work, you've got kind of have you got carte blanche where it comes to uh, can I use that character? Can I bring that character into this story? Or did you have to kind of get permission? Or you no, know, no, I I just did that. You know, when I, when I would do the outline, if I wanted to use Felix Leiter or or uh, Tiger Tanaka, mm -hmm. uh, I would just do it. And, you know, Peter would read the outline and approve it. So, you know, I never had an outline rejected. So they always really? took it. Yeah. They, he might have had some suggestions, you know, here mm -hmm. and there. You know, uh, this little bit right here, maybe do this mm -hmm. or something like that, you know. You know, we, t we talked a lot about Mark Ange Draco, what mm -hmm. I did with him. Mm -hmm. And he totally agreed with me that, yeah, this guy's a bad guy. He, he was a bad guy to begin with, you yeah. know. This makes yeah. total sense. That was a little controversial when that book came out. <laughs> really? <laughs> I love it. When I'm hearing this, your passion just oozes through. Mm. You know, you, <laughs> you know, you are a, you're a you're a Bond fan, and this is a joy for you to do. And you're thinking at it from the perspective of a fan. You're thinking logically about the characters and all the rest of it. And having, you know, such a prolific bibliography in such a short space of time shows just your passion oozing through but would you say there was any time that you found it difficult in terms of um, the writing and it was, maybe it, was it was always difficult it was always work really hmm. yeah. it was always work yeah uh, was there i any... mean even even the traveling you know everybody you know i'd say well i'm going to you know uh France, you know, or Spain to do research and everybody go, oh, can I carry your bags? You know, that kind of, it was work. It was, really was work. I mean, I had, yeah. I had a great time. I had a great time and I saw a lot of places I never thought I would see. Uh, I met a lot of people that were incredibly interesting and cool, but it was work. I was taking notes. I was taking pictures. I was asking questions. I was making appointments to see people and find out things yeah. and going from here to there and here to there and taking this train and going, you know, in, within a short amount of time that was finite, you know? So it was, it was not leisurely. No, it was work. Uh, but mm. man, I had some adventures. It was like, it was, it, 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 what you're describing sounds very James Bond in itself. Very James Bond. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, you know, I, I like to say I was walking in Bond's footsteps, you know, I would, I would, <laughs> no, eat you were, you were his hotels, man. This stay is in his amazing. hotels, eat his food, you know, uh, I, I, I didn't jump out of airplanes or, you know, bed as women, but, uh, you know, <laughs> I, I ate his food. So uh, that, that was fun. It's as close as we'll get, isn't it, Ray? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, what what about like so so after in two thousand and three I know that you stepped back from the James Bond world and from then I mean your your writing career I I tried to count and find everything that you've done and I just kept going back on myself and finding new things and your career is storied and huge and ongoing I mean just mm. this year twenty twenty three see people published in the anthology thrilling adventure yarns. Right. I mean, you just and, and next week there's a, a short story coming out in an anthology of stories inspired by the songs of Elvis Costello. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's called Ooh. it's called the, the 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 book is called Brutal and Strange uh, <laughs> Stories Inspired by the Songs of Elvis Costello, <laughs> and I my story is uh, the beat from, right, uh, right. from this year from this year's model. Yeah. Cool. Oh, that's so, so good. If, that comes out anyone... Monday. Comes out Monday. Comes out Monday, right. We'll make yeah. sure we do a shout on Monday. Yeah, uh, too right. Yeah. So uh -huh. if if you could, I mean, because there is so much, and it's all so much variety. You wrote a Pocket Essential book about Jethro Tull as well. I did. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. mean, this is just, like, the variety here is just monstrous. <laughs> so is, is there anything outside of the world? If, if someone else, if, say just to someone who knows you only from the James Bond books, and you were to say, you know what, like, I wouldn't mind someone else reading this of mine because I'm particularly proud of it, what might that be for you? Well, my latest novel, The Mad, Mad Murders of Marigold Way, is yeah. right up there, I think. Uh, it's won some awards. Mm. It's gotten some good notices. It's uh, it's one of my favorites, it, and it's and it's wacky. 
it's 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 a it's a dark comedy that takes place during COVID. It was my attempt to do a Coen Brothers movie on in prose. Amazing, nice. You know, you know how if you, if you watch the Coen Brothers movies, you know a lot of a lot of their movies about crime, uh, mm-hmm. but the, pe- the 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 characters committing those crimes are so utterly stupid. I, yes. I think I think, yes. the, I think the Coen Brothers make smart movies for about stupid people for <laughs> for, for smart people. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, that's what that's what the Madman Murders is. It's about uh, some really stupid people and <laughs> who try to commit some crimes and and all the all the while COVID is going on around them and it takes place in in my neighborhood. Oh, uh, really? I said it in my hometown. I, I fictionalized it, but uh, there's a lot of truth in this book. <laughs> it sounds absolutely amazing Um, it just got it just got added to my christmas list raymond so i just i literally click add to list on on thingy so uh, other than that i would say my black stiletto uh series that's really my magnum opus i think yeah it's the five five books that are it's really it's kind of like harry potter in that it's one big story told in five different books you know that are all linked and tell a you know a complete character arc Amazing. so those, the black stiletto is probably my favorite thing that i've written excellent i think it's quite yeah. obvious that you're also a big cinephile and mm. referencing. Yes. obviously not no not obviously people can't see this but you're a kubrick fan as well which i'd obviously oh, yeah, yeah 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 has that has his work influenced your writing over the years absolutely absolutely one of my little sort of side jobs in the last 15 years was teaching film history at a college nearby college wow. so yeah i'm i'm very much a cinephile i'm film historian i i lecture every month i have been for 20 years you know at libraries and campuses and things like that on film on and i write for cinema retro magazine Do you know cinema retro that's run by dave worrell and and lee pfeiffer yeah yeah um, yeah yeah. yeah, I've been I've been with that magazine since the first issue. Uh, I've always really? had a column. So yeah, I'm very much into movies and music and theater. <laughs> and, you're you're a storyteller. You're a fan of stories, and you're a storyteller. You know, yeah. It's it's just absolutely wonderful. Um, can I ask what are you working on at the moment, or is it top secret? Well, in a way, it is secret. I've been uh, for the last year and a half. Uh, I've been ghostwriting. Have you? Uh, I, I have been, I've done some of that, you know, it kind of goes along with the tie-in work. You know, I've done yeah. other novelizations, you know, of video games like Splinter Cell and Metal Gear Solid and things like mm. that. But every now and then I'll get a job where, you know, it's ghostwriting where y- you write the stuff and somebody else puts their name on it, but you get paid a lot. Mm. So <laughs> it's, it's it can John be, can be very lucrative that? and you would be surprised what, what all is ghostwritten out there. I mean, just about any, yeah. Celebrity biography that's supposedly written by the celebrity is more than likely not written by that celebrity. <laughs> and and I would imagine more non-disclosure agreements than you know what to do with. I would imagine. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm quite familiar with the uh with the verbiage in, in an NDA. Yes, yes. I must admit, um I'm still at the point in my career where my ghostwriting work, Raymond, is um more lucrative than my actual work under my own name so <laughs> well that's yeah. the case it's that's true yeah i mean my tie-in work my novelization work my ghostwriting work does pay better than my own original work i, I mean i've done okay with my original stuff thank you very much but uh <laughs> it, does, it does pay very it does pay pay a lot more yes about Bond, if we could just, you know, we talked about you as a writer and about the career and everything like that, and that magical period that you were the literary voice for Bond. Uh, you were the Benson. You are the Benson. <laughs> um, <laughs> what, so but what about, like, who's your favourite Bond? You mean the actor? Yeah. Who's yeah. Oh, well, you know, I've always said there's Sean Connery and then there's everybody else. Okay, yeah. cool, cool. Um, I, yeah, there's no... There's no I mean, argument here you know, on that one. Um, you, you talk to just about any Bond fan. It kind of depends on you know what their age is and what their first movie mm-hmm. was and mm-hmm. when they got into it. You know, and that's usually their favorite. You know, my yeah. son Goldeneye was his first movie, and you know he he really likes 
Pierce Brosnan, although he has come to appreciate, you know, the earlier stuff. And, and now mm. I think he, I think he's like me. He, he appreciates Connery the best. You know, I know people who, you know, Roger's their favorite or, or mm. Pierce or even Daniel Craig. I know people who, who uh, George Lazenby's their favorite. Yeah. Um, so, but, you know, Connery was the first guy I saw. He was the guy I was living with as Bond for many yeah. years. Yeah. You know, I, I argue that without him, if Dr. No had not been a success, we would not be here today talking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally uh, absolutely. Totally so agree. true. So and, true. Uh, yeah. You and, can trace you know, everything 19, back to that moment. Yeah. 1966, Connery was the number one box office star. Mm. And, you know, people today, you know, the younger generation, they, they don't appreciate that. They don't really understand how big it mm. really was in the 60s. Uh, I mean, Bond has wow. always been big, but in the '60s, that was the Star Wars. You know, yeah. that yeah. was the yeah. that was the pinnacle of franchise movie making. Mm. Um, and there were a lot of imitations, but nothing as successful or had the quality of the Bond films in the '60s. And I will always think of you know, especially the first three, as the mm-hmm. most significant. Yeah. The most significant yeah. and most important Bond films of the entire franchise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I, no, I, I think I, I don't think anyone in the rant mind could argue against that. I no. truthfully don't think they could. But um, well, you know, you see all these rankings, people ranking oh, their yeah, Bond yeah, films, yeah. you know, and you know, somebody puts Octopussy at number one, and I'm going, "What's wrong with you?" Whoa, 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 whoa! I, whoa. I nearly spat <laughs> my drink everywhere, Raymond. I'm gone. I, I, I like I like Octopussy too. You know, it's fine. <laughs> It's fine. It's 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 a nice little run, uh, but as far as a you know what what Bond movies are you going to put in a time capsule to open up a hundred years from now that represents what a Bond movie is? And I would put the first three uh, because they they were the ones that they were original. They were they totally created every little element that gets repeated and repeated and repeated and repeated. I, I would yeah. completely agree. And I think if you don't have yeah. the sheer potency, filmic potency of those three films, you don't have everything after that. You know, no, you, it's you don't. It's a franchise that just gets like, hey, those were some nice movies. And that it dies there of death, you know. Um, again, right. So another pop quiz. Favorite Fleming novel? From Russia with Love. Although oh, I'm, yes. I'm, I'm, I, I, a close second would be Dr. No. You know, because For Much More Love ends with that cliffhanger. I'm not yeah. sure mm-hmm. if somebody said, I'm only going to read one Fleming book. Which one should I read? I would be hesitant to say For Much More Love because of the, the way it ends. I would probably tell them to read Dr. No, uh, because those two together, I think, are the epitome of Fleming's work. I love Honor, Majesty, Secret Service a lot. I, that part, I'd probably put that as number three. But there's, you know, there's several that I really love. Ooh. I don't want to put you on the spot, but I, I'm going to put you on the spot. I'm sorry, I've been Wait. doing that for. Like... I thought I was on the spot. I wouldn't yeah. be here. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry, Chris. I'm sorry. Which Raymond. is obviously, you know, in terms of the, the 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 film series, it's I think it's fair to say it's a it's, it's a clean slate now, a fresh start for whatever yeah. comes with it. So, does Raymond Benson have a elevator pitch for the Eon production? Which way oh. do we go? Yeah, well, you know, I'm it's 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 what a lot of people have su- are suggesting, but they probably won't do it, is to go back to the fifties and mm-hmm. you know do a period bond. They won't. I don't think they will. I mean, I don't know. I don't like to speculate what Eon will do. They're, so you would like to see that? You'd like to to see? I would personally, personally, yeah, I would like to see that. Yeah, yeah um, kick it off again back there. Yeah. I mean, what would excite you about going back to the sixties and doing that? What what would it be about that? Well, it would be closer to what Fleming wrote. I think mm-hmm. it would, you know, capture that period of time, which was what the original books were. Mm-hmm. Of course, they wouldn't be able to do all the product placement and things like no. that. No, that would no. be a that would be that's why they won't do it. I don't think. You know, I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do. Well, I imagine um, smoking would be a big issue as well. well you, know? you know, you see, there are movies that take place in that time period and mm-hmm. people smoke. So mm-hmm. I don't know. It's uh, yeah, it's it's a whole new world. Mm-hmm. But if if you were given if the phone rang, would you answer the call? 
Well, it does. It continues to ring because, you know, zero minus 10 just got. Yes, of course. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. We should we should talk about we should talk about that. Yeah. In fact, let's end on a great big plug for zero minus 10 because it's it's been beautifully repackaged. Yeah, I I was really pleased with it. You know, this year is the 70th anniversary of Casino Royale and. Ian Fleming Publications decided to also, you know, relaunch Zero Minus Ten, Colonel Sun, and the Sean Pearson biography of 007. Yeah, so we launched them basically at the uh, Pinewood Studio event on October 29th, all three books. And, you know, uh, it was great. Uh, Charlie Hickson was there, Kim Sherwood was there, and Steve Cole was there, as well as uh, Nicholas Shakespeare and uh, Andrew Lysett, who were also mm-hmm. interviewed. We had Thomas Wheatley and Madeline Smith there to read excerpts from the books. Incredible. Uh, it, was, it, was, it was a wonderful day. It was really a nice event. And hats off to Gareth Owen and his team for doing that. Amazing. Mm. Amazing. If I could only just echo what, what's been said, or your passion is just uh, yeah. shines through. And also, I've, I've spent the whole hour, my cheeks hurt from smiling. I've enjoyed this yeah. so much. So, um, thank you so, so very much, Raymond, for coming and spending well, you're, time with you're us. You're quite welcome. I know you mentioned before that you'd like to go back to the time of the Fleming. I'd like to go back to the time of the Benson, if you don't mind, please. Get the Benson. <laughs> Get the Benson. <laughs> <laughs> so, thank you so much for your time. And, and, and we'll certainly be shouting about your upcoming works, the re-release of Zero Minus Ten as well. Yeah. Just thank you so, so very much. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. To talk to you, honestly, love your books, love your work, love the stuff you did with Bond, love the stuff you've done elsewhere. It's just a great pleasure to talk with you. Thanks so much, man. Yeah. You're welcome. All right. Thanks for having me. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. And this is Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. We are a new show breaking down the anime news, views, and shows you care about each and every week. I can't think of a better studio to bring something like this to life. Yeah, I agree. We're covering all the classics. If I don't know a lot about Godzilla, which I do, but I'm trying to (laughs) pretend that I don't right now. Hold it in. And our current faves. Luffy must have his due. (laughs) Tune in every week for the latest anime updates and possibly a few debates. Oof. I remember, what was that? <laughs> say what you're going to say and I'll circle back. You can listen to Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect every Friday wherever you get your podcasts. And watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or the Crunchyroll YouTube channel.